to turn with me this morning over to Second Peter, if you would. Second Peter chapter three. Give you a moment to look that up. Just as I was praying, prophesying a bit there just a moment ago, I said to you that God is taking us into new things in 2012. That's, that's a word that I received from the Lord just a few days ago. That 2012 will be a time of new things. 2011 has been a time of transition. The Lord gave me that at the first of last year. 2011 would be a time of transition. But 2012, we are going into a time of new things. And I'm going to share some things with you this morning about going into the new things that God has for us. And we're going to start in 2 Peter chapter 3. Let me just share a little bit of background with you before we go into, before we, we read the Scriptures. Uh, this letter of Second Peter was written predominantly to Jewish Christians. And it helps to understand that in order to understand this, this letter. And the Scriptures that we're, we're about to read, that we're going to look at, are dealing with the end times from a Jewish perspective. Paul, uh, Peter is going to use what these people know, these Jewish believers know about the end times and relate it to their Christian life and Christian experience. Now let me just say to you that, that the Word of God is a progressive revelation. And because of that, we as believers, we as Christians, actually have more insight into what's going to happen in the last days than those Jewish believers did back then. Uh, just to give you a very quick synopsis of the end times, a very brief outline. As far as Christian viewpoint of the end times, the very next major thing on the calendar of prophetic events is the rapture of the church. <laughs> I'm ready. Bring it on. <laughs> oh yeah. It is the rapture of the church. Once the church is raptured, and there is some debate on this. There are some people say the rapture is going to be at the beginning of the tribulation, some in the middle, some in the end. That's, that's really not where I'm headed. But the next prophetic event on the calendar is the rapture of the church. And at the time of the rapture of the church will be the signaling of what is known as the seven-year tribulation period, be the rise of Antichrist and things of that nature. At the end of that seven-year period, we will have spent time with the Lord, we'll have spent that seven years in the presence of the Lord in heaven. At the end of that seven-year period, we will come back to the earth and rule and reign with Him for a thousand years. At the end of the thousand years, there will be a renewal. There will be the establishment of the new heavens and the new earth. Now, all of this is from a Christian perspective. What I want you to realize is that these Jewish Christians, or actually the people that were involved in Judaism, uh, first of all, they had no revelation of the rapture of the church. They didn't know the church would even exist. 
And in fact, you really, for the most part, when it comes to the rapture of the church, where you find the most teaching on the rapture of the church is almost exclusively in Paul's writings. That really was a revelation that God gave to the Apostle Paul. You have some scriptures over in the Gospels that kind of hint toward the rapture of the church. But for the most part, that was a teaching that was given by the Apostle Paul in his writings to the church. But the Jews, obviously, the Jewish people had no concept of the rapture or of the church. They had no concept of a seven-year tribulation period. They also had no concept of a millennial reign of Messiah. Now, they knew Messiah would come and rule and reign, but they had no concept of the fact that there would be a millennium, that there would be a thousand-year reign of Christ. Now, what the rabbis taught very simply was this. They taught that the end times was made up of two ages. There was first of all what we know as the present age, the age that we're living in now. It was the age of the reign of sin and death. It was the reign, the, the age where uh, Satan basically would have a heyday in the earth. We'd, mankind would have to deal with sin and sickness and disease and demons and fear and all of the curse that was brought on because of the fall of Adam. But what the rabbis taught is that there was not only a present age. In fact, what the rabbis taught, it's kind of interesting. What the rabbis taught is that as time progressed, that this present age would get darker and darker and darker and darker and darker. In fact, what they said was that the brightest time in the history of humanity was when Israel received the law. And that from the time of the receiving of the law... From that day forward, things began to get darker and darker and darker. Uh, that, while that sounds good on paper, uh, the problem that with that is the fact that the book of Proverbs says in Proverbs 4.18 that the path of the just shines brighter and brighter unto the perfect day. And so they had trouble explaining their own scriptures as far as that viewpoint. But they taught things would get darker and darker and darker and darker. But then there would come a, a what they called the age to come. There would come a new age into the earth. And during that new age, Messiah would come and would rule and reign. And that all of the promises that God had made to Israel would come to pass in the earth. Everything would be fulfilled. And then once Messiah came to rule and to reign, that there would be a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. And they also taught that there would be a time of transition from the present age into this new age of Messiah. And that time of transition was called the day of the Lord or the day of God. Okay? So what they saw was two ages in this transition period called the day of the Lord or the day of God. Now, with that said, the Apostle Peter is explaining some things to them, not necessarily about the end times, but he is making a comparison using what they have been taught about the end times. Now with that said, let's start reading here in 2 Peter chapter 3. Verse 7 says, But the heavens and the earth which are now by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. 
The Lord is not slack concerning His promises, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord, that transition period, the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that they, that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons you ought to be in all holy conversations and conversation and godliness. Looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we according to His promise, take note of that phrase, we according to His promise look for new heavens, and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you be found of Him in peace, without spot and blameless. And account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you. As also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing you know these things before, beware, lest ye also being led away with the error of the wicked fall from your own steadfastness. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Now, go down here to verse 13 once again. It says, Nevertheless, we according to His promise look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Notice here, He said that the new heavens and the new earth have already been promised. According to His promise. Now there are some promises in the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 65 and verse 17. You can just take note of these. God said, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. And the former shall not be remembered nor come into mind. I'm going to come back to the last part of that in just a second. The former shall not be remembered nor come into mind. Isaiah chapter 66 and verse 22. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. For as the new heavens and the new earth which I'm, I will make shall remain before me, saith the Lord, so shall your seed and your name remain. So here from the prophet Isaiah, we find the promise that Peter is referring to that there would come a new heavens and a new earth. Now for where we're going this morning... I want to back up here to Isaiah 65, 17 for just a second. God is speaking, He said, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. And look at the last part of that. And the former shall not be remembered nor come into mind. I want you to take note of that. One of the major characteristics, when God, characteristics is that when God does a new thing, the old thing is forgotten. It's very important. When God does a new thing, the old thing is forgotten. I was listening to a message. I had downloaded it. You, In fact, if those of you that are computer savvy, you can go to iTunes and download this message from Perry Stone. 
this has been a while back. Um, we were going to Kerrville, and I, I was trying to find something we could listen to going down the highway. And so I downloaded this message by Perry Stone. The name of the message is, Will the Circle Be Unbroken? It's a good message. In this message, he brings out the fact, or actually he deals with this question. Uh, how is it we can go to heaven and be full of joy while at the same time knowing we've got loved ones that didn't make it? That's a good question, isn't it? How can you, how can you go to heaven and know that you have relatives, you have loved ones, you have friends, you have people that were close to you here in the earth, and yet be full of joy knowing that they're going to spend eternity in hell? Well, Brother Stone brings out this fact. We're going to look at it just a little bit because I'm laying some groundwork here. He brings out the fact that when you die and go to heaven, for those that don't make it, you don't remember them. And the circle will be unbroken. Now, just to give you a couple of scriptures, let you chew on this for a little while. You can come to your own conclusions. Psalm 112 and verse 6, talking about the righteous. Remember, we just read there that the new heavens and the new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Psalm 112 and verse 6, talking about the righteous, says, Surely he shall not be moved forever. The righteous shall be in everlasting remembrance. You can contrast that with Psalm 34, 16. The face of the Lord is against them that do evil, to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. So he said, I don't understand how that can happen. Well, I don't necessarily understand it either, but I do know Colossians 2.10 says, And you are complete in Him, which is the head of all principality and power. Somehow or another, God will make up the difference and there is a cutting off of the remembrance of those in the past that don't make it into the new thing. Thank you, Lord, for the rain. Amen. Marvelous thing. I receive that not only in the natural, I receive it in the Spirit, don't you? But there is a cutting off. There is a removal. You're right there in Second Peter. Hold your place there for a moment and turn with me to Revelation chapter 21. <clears throat> Revelation chapter 21. Verse 1 says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice 
out of heaven, saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he shall dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. Verse 4, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. All the tears will be wiped away because the remembrance of the former things will be wiped away. Now back in 2 Peter, Peter is drawing from the knowledge of these Jewish Christians. He's drawing from their their knowledge of the new heavens and the new earth. And he begins to make a comparison here. Notice in verse 10, once again. It says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. What manner of persons you ought to be in all holy conversation and godliness. I shared this message in Kerrville last Wednesday. We had a young man come that's only been a Christian about two years. And uh, he's what, Cindy, about 20, 21? And he's still coming out of a lot of stuff. <laughs> he, was, he, he was sharing. He said, he said, Whoa, he said, I got saved. The first thing I did was start reading the book of Revelation. Man, it scared me out of my tree, man. And I shared with him, and you may read these words and get scared. New heaven, new earth, everything burning up, everything dissolving. That's kind of scary. Let me tell you something. There is no Bible subject that needs to be discussed or brought out founded on fear. Okay. So I want to break a couple of things down for you here in the Greek because I want you to be aware of what Peter is talking about here. Notice in verse 10. He said, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens shall pass away. Now, every Bible scholar that I was able to look at and kind of research this out a little bit, Every single one of them bring out the fact that the word heavens there, first of all, is not referring to the planet heaven where God resides. It's not referring to the stellar heavens. It is referring to the heavens in relation to the atmosphere over this earth. There's going to be a change in the atmosphere. The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in the heavens in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat. Notice, says the heavens shall pass away. I want to share a couple of things with you from the Greek. Take a note of that word, pass away. The Greek word, I don't know that I can pronounce it, but I can spell it if you're taking notes. Let me just spell it for you. It's P-A-R-E-C-H-O-M-A-I. P-A-R... E-C-H-O-M-A-I. Said the heavens will pass away. Listen to this definition. This word in the Greek means to pass from one condition to another. To pass from one condition to another.
to another. Listen, it is never used of annihilation. So when it's talking about the heavens will pass away, it's not talking about the destruction of this atmosphere. It is talking about the fact that there is going to be a transition in the atmosphere. There's going to be a change. In verse 10, he begins to tell you what it is. It says, The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with a, with a burning heat. Or with a fervent heat. Take a note of that word elements. Now when it's talking about elements here, it is not talking about the, uh, the elements of physics. It's not talking about this earth being destroyed. The elements that it's speaking of here refer to the elements of the curse that surround this planet. The curse is going to be removed. The curse is going to be removed. Let me read this to you. This is from Dake's Bible. Let me just read it to you. Talking about this word elements. It says, It has reference to the principles or basic elements of the present world system of evil spirits, sinful and fallen nature, germs, corruptions, and all elements by which people corrupt themselves. All of the elements of the curse are going to be removed. Now listen. When Jesus comes back, there's going to be a partial removing of the curse. The curse is going to be greatly lifted off the earth. When Jesus comes to rule and reign, it won't be totally lifted. Death will still be present. There's still going to be natural people on the earth that will live and die during the millennium. But granted, they're going to live a whole lot longer than they do now. The Bible says in Isaiah that during the millennium that a child will die at a hundred. So, longevity will be more. There'll still be natural death, but it will not have, not have near the hold on the earth that it does. The curse will be removed off of the animals. They're not going to be eating and devouring one another. You won't have to be afraid of rattlesnakes and all that kind of stuff. They're not going to hurt you anymore. Well, I take that back. The only thing that won't, the only animal that the curse won't be lifted off of during the millennium is the snake. It'll still have the curse on it. But the curse will be greatly diminished. Isaiah prophesied about that, talking about when Messiah comes to rule and reign. Isaiah 25, 7 and 8, talking about Messiah, says, And He will destroy in this mountain the face of the covering cast over all people, and the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death in victory, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from, all, from off all faces, and the rebuke of His people shall He take away from off all the earth, for the Lord hath spoken it. When Jesus comes to rule and reign, the curse will be greatly diminished, but when it comes time at the end of the millennium for the new heavens and the new earth, the curse will be completely, totally removed. That'll be a marvelous thing. That'll be a marvelous thing. So he said, oh, won't that be wonderful? Well, I got good news for you. You don't have to wait. While we do live in a cursed world, the Word says Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us. We can walk free of the curse in this earth as believers. 
But I want you to realize that the word elements that it's talking about here in verse 10 is not referring to the physical elements of, of physics and geology and all of that kind of stuff. It's talking about spiritual elements. Notice in verse 10 once again, it says, The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Take a note of the word melt. It's the Greek word luo, L-U-O. The word luo is translated all over the New Testament as the word loose. Not melt, but loose. Here it means the loosing of the atmospheric heavens and the earth from the curse by fire. Not their annihilation. Not the annihilation of the heaven and the earth. But the loosing of all of those elements that brought about the curse because of Adam's failure. Verse 10 again, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Well, what are the works that are going to be burned up? Well, if you go down to verse 13, Peter said, Nevertheless, we according to His promise look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. I submit to you that the works that are going to be burned up are all the works of unrighteousness. Unrighteousness is going to be removed from off of the earth. A new heaven and a new earth. Go down to verse 13. It says, Nevertheless, we according to His promise look for new heavens and a new earth. Now again, based on what I just shared with you in the Greek text, it's not talking about the, the annihilation of the heavens and the earth, but a renewing and a refurbishing of the present heavens and the present earth. And here he says in verse 13, we're going to receive a new heaven and a new earth. Now let me share this with you. There are two words in the Greek that, that are two words that are primarily used in the New Testament that are translated as the word "new." Two words. One of them is the word "neos," n-e-o-s. A word "neos" in, in the Greek is a word that refers to something brand new. Got a brand new car. Just came off the showroom floor. Just came out of the factory. Just got put together. That's neos. But there is another word that's translated new in the Greek language. It is the word kainos. K-I-N-O-S. K-I-N-O-S. And this word new in the Greek does not refer to something brand new, but it refers to something that has been refreshed and refurbished and renewed. And when Peter says here that there's coming a new heaven and a new earth, it's the word kainos that's used. So this present heaven and earth are going to be refreshed, they're going to be renewed, they're going to be refurbished. And then in verse 13, he says, Now, nevertheless, we, according to His promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. What is the fire that's going to remove the curse? 
What is the fire that's going to remove those elements and bring about this renewal, bring about this refurbishing? It is the righteousness of God. Righteousness is a spiritual force. Righteousness is a spiritual power. Righteousness has a fire about it. Now with that said, notice what, he, what Peter did here. Verse 10 once again. The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. All unrighteousness shall be removed. But now watch, in verse 11, he begins to make a comparison to our Christian life. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? I want you to realize that the same process that's going to renew the heavens and the earth, that's going to refurbish them, is the same process that we are to walk out in our Christian life on this earth. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You're all familiar with it. Verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation, a new creature, the King James says. Old things are passed away. It's the same word used in in relation to the new heavens and the new earth. Old things are passed away. And behold, all things are become new. And that word new there, new, He is a new creature, all things are become new. It is the Greek word kainos, referring to a renewing and a refurbishing and a refreshing. Now I realize when a person is born again, Scripture is very clear that one passes from one condition of life to the next. In one sense, he does become brand new. 2 Peter 2.2 says, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the Word that you may grow thereby. He becomes a spiritual baby. He is brand new in the sense that he goes from being what we call lost or unsaved to being born again, being saved and having the nature of Jesus on the inside of him, being indwelt by the Spirit of God. We understand that. But the thing that I want to bring to your attention here is the fact that just being born again is not the final end result. It is the beginning of a process. It's the beginning of a process. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new. Well, what is the power? What is the power that brings about this chaos? What is the power that renews and refurbishes us? Go down to verse 21 of chapter 5 and it will tell you. Talking about Jesus says, For He hath made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. 
We have been reborn so that we can be renewed, refreshed, refurbished. Our Christian life should be a a daily renewal as we walk with God. What is the element that will do it? It is the righteousness of God. And the same element that will refurbish, the new, bring about the new heavens and the new earth and renew it and refurbish it is the same power that will work within us as we walk with God on a daily basis and renew us and refurbish us and refresh us. Our walk with God shouldn't be just some big yucky drudgery all the time. It ought to be a renewing and a refreshing and a refurbishing on a daily basis. And we're going to see that before we get through. And it is the same element that will do that. Turn with me to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6 and verse 4 says, Therefore we are buried with Him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father. Well, let me tell you, you've been raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. When we were dead in trespasses and sins, He has raised us up together and made us sit together with Him in heavenly places. Therefore we are buried with Him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Newness. Newness. God taking us into a a new thing. Now take a note of that word, newness. It's in the same family of words as kainos. It is the Greek word kainotes. K-I-N-O-T-E-S. K-I-N-O-T-E-S. It is a word that describes newness. It describes a process. That's important. We have been reborn so that we can be renewed. So how are we to be renewed? How do you get refurbished? How do you get refreshed? Let me just give you one major key and then we'll look at it in the Scriptures. Your refreshing, your renewing, your refurbishing is based on what? you choose to focus upon. Your renewal is based on what you choose to focus upon. There are some things that you're not to focus on, and there are some things that you are to focus on. Let me tell you, first of all, what you're not to focus on. Number one, this is a biggie. Do not focus on your past. Remember ye not the former things. Neither consider the things of old. For behold, I will do a new thing, saith the Lord. It's Isaiah 40, 43, 18. When the new heavens and the new earth are established, you won't, they won't, the old won't be remembered nor come into mind. Well, I want to tell you, you cannot look at your past and be successful as a believer. 
I don't care if that past was 30 years ago or 30 seconds ago. Every moment that you live on this earth, your past dies every moment and needs to be forgotten. They say in Jersey, forget about it. Let it go. Your past dies every second. Every second your past dies. And did you know in the Old Testament, they taught that if you touched a dead body, if you touched a dead thing, you were contaminated, you were defiled. I want to say to you, if you spend all of your Christian life looking back, you'll never be refreshed, you'll never be renewed, you'll never be refurbished in the things of God looking back at what used to be. It won't happen. And you become contaminated and defiled by a dead thing. And I want to tell you something. That not only includes your failures, that includes your successes. I was sharing this. We were talking about this in the Bible study. One lady that we know, <clears throat> have known her for 30 years. She's in her 60s now. In her 60s. And just almost every time we have conversation with this lady, she, she begins to reminisce about how popular she was in high school as a cheerleader. She's in her 60s. Get over it, man. High school is gone. It's over. You have to be willing to forget about your successes and your failures of the past and begin to look forward. That's the only way you can be a successful believer. I was thinking about... I'm not trying to be gross... I saw a show on television. This has been a while back. A&E, Arts and Entertainment. Can you believe it? It's either that or the Learning Channel. I don't remember which. About, it was a show about a guy in England that ate roadkill. He would, he would drive down the highway and if there was something dead in the road, he picked it up, took it home, cooked it, and ate it. <laughs> Whatever floats your boat, Phil. <laughs> yeah. But, and he would sit there and cut that stuff up. Mm, this is wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. People do that with their successes in the past. It's still roadkill. It's still one roadkill. You have to be willing to let go of the past. Your refreshing, your renewal is based on what you choose to focus upon. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. What bothers me is the fact that I just discovered I'm as weird as Chet to watch those kinds of shows. 
Philippians chapter 3. Paul is talking about his walk with God. Verse 4, he is addressing how successful he was in Judaism. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 4. He said, Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Now here he's giving his pedigree. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is of the law, blameless. This guy had his act together as far as his past was concerned. Verse 7, But what things were gained to me those I counted loss for Christ? Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung. Now, do I need to translate dung from the Greek? You know what that is that I may win Christ and be found in Him not having my own righteousness which is of the law, but the righteousness which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. In other words, I want righteousness working in me, renewing, refurbishing. Verse 10, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being made conformable unto His death. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect or mature, but I follow after if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Now listen to this next verse in the King James. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind, and reaching forth unto those things which are before. Somebody said, yeah, but I just, I've made so many mistakes. I've fouled things up so bad. I've, I've screwed so much stuff up. You can't go back and fix it. But what you can do is for the mistakes that you have made, begin to cry out for the mercy of God, which is His ability to reconcile, and His ability to cause you to succeed is greater than your ability to fail. And as you begin to exercise faith in God's mercy, God can make it right. But now this is interesting in verse 13. If you have a King James Bible... Verse 13 says, But I count not myself to have apprehended, but, see that word this, in the King James, if you've got one, it's italicized, which means it's not in the original language. But this one thing, see that, I do, it's italicized, it's not in the Greek language. So I want to take that out and I want to read it the way it's worded in the Greek. Listen, this is interesting. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended but one thing. That's good. This is an apostle of God that has spent years in the ministry, years walking with God. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended but one thing forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. 
How did Paul survive all of the things that he did? How did he get through all the junk he went through? He kept looking and pressing forward. Verse 14, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Verse 15, let us therefore as many as be perfect or mature. I'm giving you something that's for the mature. Part of spiritual immaturity is continually looking at the past. Let us therefore as many as be perfect or mature be thus minded. And if anything, if, and if anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even, even this unto you. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing. Brethren, be followers or imitators, the Greek text says, of me and mark them which walk so as you have us for an example. He's saying, look, I learned to forget the past and move forward. Now look, if you're going to grow up, you're going to be mature, you have to do the same thing. And we should all have that same mind. Let me give you a little secret. If you're going to forget your past, you have to forget everybody else's. We're on a roll now. Mm -hmm. We got to let everybody else's go. But this is part of going into the new thing. You have to forget the past. Don't focus on the past. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, in the 10th verse, the Apostle Paul says, And have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of Him that created Him. Now, verse 10 says, And have put on the new man. See the word man there in the Greek? It's italicized. If you've got a King James. The literal Greek text says, And have put on the new. The word new, listen, it's the word neos. Brand new. Brand new. It's the only place in the New Testament that this word neos is used of the believer. Have put on the new. Have put on the new. Which is renewed. Which is renewed. This word, once again, renewed is in that kainos family. It's anakaino. A-N-A-K-I-N-O. A-N-A-K-I-N-O. It's a very interesting word, this word, anakano. It's a word that means changes that are accumulative. Take note of that. I'm going to come back to it in just a second. Changes that are accumulative. But I want to, I want to come back to put on the new, put on the neos, put on that which is brand new. When you get out of bed every morning, you ought to start it off as if it's the first day of your life. Every morning. Every morning. 
started off brand new. Why? Because Lamentations 3, 22 and 23 says, It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. You get out of bed every morning. You ought to be starting off every day brand new. The past is dead. It's over. It's gone. Forget about it. We're starting over new. Why? Because His mercies are new every morning. Another one that goes along with that, Psalm 30 and verse 5, For His anger endureth but for a moment, but a moment in His favor is life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh when? In the morning. In the morning. Start over every day brand new. Now, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Second Corinthians chapter 4. Verse 16. For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perishes, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. You ought to start off every day new. And that word renewed in 2 Corinthians verse 4 verse 16 is the word anakano, changes that are accumulative. Now I want to read you this is out of my, my personal notes, but I, and I want to just read it to you. It says, in this verse, we have the essence of the Christian life. It is a day-to-day renewal of the inner man. There are times when we have dramatic experiences with the Lord that change, change, change our lives in a moment of time. Such common experiences are the new birth, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, dramatic healings and deliverances, and so forth. But the reality of the Christian life is that these dramatic experiences and encounters are the exception and not the rule. It's an unfortunate thing to see that so often Christianity is presented as just a life of one dramatic, glorious experience with the Lord to the next, with the accompanying result of going from glory to glory. It's easy to watch Christian TV, for example, and get the idea that such a that such is how all, if not most, Christians live. The end result of listening to such dramatic testimonies one right after the other is the questioning of why we are so abnormal and do not have the same daily experiences. Have you ever been there? (laughs) It is true that we walk with a supernatural God. However, our God is not always so spectacular. The true Christian experience can be quite mundane to the natural mind and experience because we are required to walk with God by faith and not by sight. In this walk of faith, we are renewed on a daily basis as we make one decision after another to live by the Word of God and not by any other standard. That's that's where the accumulative changes come in. You live by one consecutive decision right after the other. Don't try and change your whole life. Start off with one decision. It may be something as simple as one less teaspoon of sugar in your coffee in the morning. But start off with one 
little decision at a time. Okay? And those are that's part of the refreshing, part of the renewal. In this walk of faith, we are renewed on a daily basis as we make one decision after another to live by the Word of God and not by any other standard. I put this in capitals. Inconsistency lies the power of God. While such a walk with God will not appeal to the flesh, the results are guaranteed in the Word of the results that are guaranteed in the Word of God make the walk well worthwhile. In such a walk, we also discover that the Word of God and our walk with God will be real and will produce results in the real world. Daily. Daily we walk with God. But notice what he said over here in 2 Corinthians 4.16 again. It says, For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perishes, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. Verse 17 For our light affliction, which is but for a moment. We do have stuff that we have to walk through, and I'm going to show you why in just a moment. For our light affliction, which which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Verse 18, while we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen, but the things which are seen are temporal or temporary, The word temporary means subject to change, but the things which are not seen are eternal. They never change. What you're going through, what you're dealing with, will either be to your glory or it will be to your downfall, depending on what you're you're focused on as you're walking through it. What are you looking at? If you look at the waves, you'll be destroyed in the middle of the lake. If you look at the storm, you'll be destroyed in the middle of the lake. If you look at the circumstances, you'll be destroyed in the middle of the circumstances. But if you choose to look at what God has said, what God has spoken, what God has declared in His Word, then that affliction will turn to your glory, not to your defeat or your downfall. But it depends on what you choose to focus. And the Lord spoke this to me several years ago. We were walking through some stuff, and I tell you the truth, I wasn't too sure I was going to make it. But I was sitting there in a, on the couch one day, and the Lord said, Don't give something temporary eternal status. Don't give something temporary eternal status. You know how you do that? Well, I, I guess it's always going to be this way. Oh, things are never going to change. It's never going to get any better. It'll probably just get worse. I just gave something temporary, eternal status. You know why people get, you know why people commit suicide? They give what something temporary, eternal status, and they don't see any other way out. It's what they focus on. Exactly. They see no way out. They see no way out. And practically everybody that has ever attempted suicide and was unsuccessful, uh, their part of their testimony will be, I didn't see any other way out. But they gave what was temporary eternal status. And another thing the Lord told me, He said, never judge anything in the moment. Never judge anything in the moment. Don't give it eternal status. The only thing that deserves eternal status is the Word. 
But you do have things that you have to walk through. Why do you have to walk through them? Well, turn to Psalm 119. have two more scriptures and I'm done. Can you survive? Cowboys don't kick off till 315. Psalm 119. Here we go. Psalm 119. Let me give you a a word of advice based on what Phil has said. If he invites you over for lunch after church, don't don't go. Just 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 don't go. <laughs> yeah. Just no, can't can't, sorry. <laughs> if if he offers to cook for you, just don't just, just don't go. Psalm one nineteen seventy one. It's good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. He's not talking about theological training. Theological training is good. Very important. Very necessary. But he's not talking about theological training. He is talking about what you learn when you take the Word of God and go through life's experiences and then win with it. There's something that there's something that you learn, there's something that you grab hold of that nobody can take away from you when you've taken the Word of God and gone through a hellacious experience and come out on the other side victorious. You learn something in that that nobody can take away from you. And while our light affliction is but for a moment, it will work for us an eternal weight of glory as we hang on to the Word of God and not let go. It will bring us out on the other side. I we were going through some things one time, and I had a I had a vision. I didn't, again, this it's about the same time I didn't think I was going to make it, but I uh, <laughs> sat there and had vision, and I was water skiing. I loved to water ski when I was a kid, and I was water skiing, and then I hit this wave, and I went feet first up in there, and I went face first, blam! <laughs> Just the skis were gone, you know, and. In this vision, I was underneath the water, and then the thing kind of zoomed in. And while I was completely, totally submerged, but on top of the water was the ski rope in my hand. <laughs> I didn't let go of the ski rope. Just hold on. <laughs> God will get you through to the other side. He will do it. And the Lord said, that's you hanging on to the Word. And you may be spitting and sputtering when you come up out of the water, but God will get you through to the other side. Let me read this note to you. This is also out of my notes. When we compare this verse with other scriptures, verse 71, especially in the New Testament, we discover that there is a learning of the scripture that takes place through the process of affliction. It is a twofold process of learning patience and comfort. This is not theological training. It is training that is the result of application to the Word of God, the application of the Word of God to the issues of daily life. Well, what are we to focus upon? Well, we're to focus on the Word. Secondly, we're to focus on the Spirit. Turn with me to Titus 3, and I'm done. Titus 3. Titus chapter 3. 
Titus chapter 3 and verse 5, the Apostle Paul is writing, he says, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us by the washing of regeneration. You may want to take, of note, of the, take note of that word regeneration. It literally means born again. Born again. By the washing of being born again. By the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Again, that's the Greek word anakaino. A-N-A-K-I-N-O. One accumulative change upon another. Let me tell you, when you make certain decisions before God, and you begin to make these little changes in the you know, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that, and you begin to make these little changes in your life and you make decisions where the Word of God is concerned, when you make those decision, decisions, the Holy Spirit gets involved with those decisions and will enforce them and back them with His power. He will not make them for you. There are a lot of people, Oh, Holy Spirit, do this and that. No, 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 no. You are the one with the will. You're the one with the decision-making apparatus. Once you make that decision, He'll back it. That's how you got saved. That's how you get baptized in the Holy Ghost, speak in other tongues. That's how you get healed. That's how you get delivered. It begins with our decision. Then He's there to back it. You say amen to all that? All right. Father, in Jesus' name, we just come before You and thank You. Thank you that we're stepping into the new thing in 2012. We ask that by your righteousness you renew us, you refresh us, you refurbish us, you take us from glory to glory. And Father, as your people give, as they sow their seed this morning, as they bring their tithes and offerings, I thank you that the seed that's being sown is being multiplied back to them in fruits of righteousness in every area of their life, spirit, soul, body, socially, and financially. And Father, I just give you the praise and the honor for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, before.